Radio Outcast is a mystifying, gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of guns halfway through the episode, which may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you. Mom, remember when Salvandar was formed? I don't remember the exact god union that made him, but I remember Amoa, god of healing, announced her intention to form a god of medicine because she was tired of watching humans attempt to use magic. Or what they called magic. So Amoa unioned up with some disease god, I think the demigod of plagues, And together, they made that shaggy-haired stoner, Salvandar. That must have been, what, 5,000 years ago? He invented herbal remedies, and then theriac, and then penicillin, which everyone praised him for. He taught humans to heal themselves, which meant us gods could relax a bit more. Amoa was just so proud. It was the talk of the heavens for decades. I remember you saying, I hope to be as proud a grand god someday, and you side-glanced me. Always guilting me, Mom. You know Emmy used that against me, right? She brought it up every single time I hesitated to make a union with her. Oh, but wouldn't the art mother of communication be so, so aesthetic to finally have a grand godling? Ugh. Ugh, whatever. It's been weeks since I've arrived in this sweltering place, and you haven't responded to a single prayer. Not a peep. But you know what? I think whatever God made air conditioning, that's who we should be promoting. Ever since I became humanly corporeal, I've been sweating my entire ass off. You going dim on me? Huh? Uh, Dim? No. Uh, I I was just thinking. Thought the heat might be getting to you. Back in the valley, me and Jesse weren't on the best of terms. It felt like we might have strangled each other at any second. Not like Jesse can die since he stole my immortality or whatever. Unintentionally, I know, I know, but can't a girl complain? I had my immortality for 370 million years. (sighs) Anyways, things have sort of improved with Jesse. Probably because he's all damaged about Charles now. The whole horse ride from the valley, he's been glaring at him. 
He's been real quiet. You notice? We should probably be grateful. On our way out to the valley, Charles did his typical rambling about his great deeds or whatever. I've gambled against Isabella Bird herself. <laughs> I sat in the opera box from the opening night of Excelsior. <laughs> oh, how you wouldn't believe. <laughs> You're right. You're right, Charles. I, I won't believe. That went on and on and on for hours, but as the Walkman led us closer to the city, he stopped talking. malignancy. No matter how I wish it from my world, Salt Lake City thrust itself back upon me. And I decry. I decry that putrid city with every groove of my soul. But not allowed. Now I do this in silence. I, I, I could never publicly denounce such a place, for it beat me to the punch is that a cigar shop? <gasps> oh, look. A, a shoe emporium? Oh, and a theater. I haven't been to the theater in ages. Oh, and a hat boutique. Hey, hey, hey don't they barter these days? Oh, let me see what I've got. Uh, a rock from Enchanted Mesa. Some pocket lint. Ooh, there's my lightning bolt earrings, but uh, I'm never selling those. Wait, where's my hair scrunchie? Did I leave it back in the heavens? No, no, wait, wait, don't they barter these- It seemed our friend Helix hadn't seen proper civilization in years, as if starved for kinetic energy. <laughs> oh, I wish we were in Philadelphia, or perhaps Baltimore, so that I might have shared such euphoria. But no, as we trotted down Main Street, I shadowed my face, I kept myself small, just as I used to as a boy. Well, don't see a tower nowhere. The tallest building is out over there, but that looks like some sort of cathedral. Um, that's more like a castle. What the hell is that? I, I thought kings and queens weren't a thing in America. Uh, not in the traditional sense. <laughs> The gods continue to test me. As we strode northwest from the Arizona Valleys, a voice within me wondered, could it be those crooked canyons, all too familiar, and the burning red rock? But no, surely we were not being sallied forth to this hell that wants to find me to summon such a coincidence. So I strode on, northwest, and further northwest still. Oh, those Utah dunes. How they stretch forth like an endless, grained duvet. Mm. We trekked the orange abdomen of America. 
sand beneath our toenails. 80 miles out from Salt Lake City, Sani pointed straight toward her, and I submitted to fate's eternal humor. Charles, check that machine. Let's see if we pass that town. Uh, later. We must run an errand first. You sure it's we, or is it you? Because I've got no errands. The Revenant Cowboy knows to suspect me of concealing something. No doubt he is a survivor through wit and reflex. I have not told him what I stole from those Valley Bandits, the map of Abilene, Texas, where Jesse's villainous rustler gang go to Pronsumerd, but he knows to suspect me of something. I perceive this in his glare. Ah, here we are. <laughs> you might uh, rope the horses to that lamppost? An alley? All this bustling city, and we're stopping in an alleyway. You shall see the elephant in time, but for now, we need protection. Only a few sorts of men, I figure. The first kind of man, you know him right there. He's a simple man. Nothing about it. He works to eat. He eats to work. Maybe call him virtuous. I say simple. Second kind of man, he's riddled. Some sort of void inside him, I figure he's trying to fill. Could be ambitious. Maybe he's a railroad man. Or gone panning for gold. Or maybe he's lying, cheating, stealing. Whatever the case, the void don't fill. So you've got simple men, then you've got riddled men. Now, the third kind of man. I just call him finished. A finished man walks with the grave at his heels. He does nothing with hope. He could have opportunity at his door, and he'd turn the lock. A finished man has no family, no love, nothing to even die for. Simple, riddled, and finished. That's it. And the problem is, depending on the error, Charles changes the kind of man he is. Coffee man brought us to a back alley door. No doorknob or handle. Just a wooden slab in the middle of a brick wall. Nothing right and good ever came from a hidden door. I got enough trouble, Charles. What's this we're getting into? If you wish it, you can wait out here. I'll only be a moment. <laughs> Strange character came out of the door. Nothing like most folks in Salt Lake City. 
It's a Mormon town. Folks keep conservative. Don't dress for the eye. Gray skirts, gray suits, gray faces. And if they ain't Mormon, then it's a new railroad brought some workers over from China and Japan. Out on the street, that's where you'll see. Half the folks in conservative wear, half of them in cinder-marked railroad fits. But this strange man at the door, I had nothing. Big old beard, had a moonberry coat on with a gold pocket square. Tall black hat, long black gloves. Well, don't allow me to get dizzy in age. What's the burden? Oh, mind the grease, doorman. You've a duty. Now rise to it. Very, very well, then. The way Osgood and that purple-frocked man were talking, or that la-di-da, seemed bigger than your usual conversation. Each word had double meaning. Seemed they were operating on some code. I don't know. I kept a close eye. Three cards. A king, a queen, and a joker. Joker is the key. Mulberry Man had three cards. Started shuffling them around, didn't know what the hell was going on. But then he stopped shuffling, held three cards out, and waited for Charles. Young man, I am no amateur, but do go gentle on my friends. Charles went into his own pocket, put out a Joker card just waiting. Had my mind splitting. How long was he holding on to that? Before Salt Lake, I figured Charles was just some pigeon-livered bunko artist. Nothing much to it. I've met every turn of trickster across the West. But Osgood just showing up with that talking machine and the way he started acting after Arizona, it got me to thinking. But before I got a word out, Charles went on inside past the Mulberry Man. Go gentle. The board does not go gentle. Now, find the Joker. Joker is key. to shit-talk the entire global human population of 1887, but I really miss normal people. Really, I shouldn't have found myself in some weird alley watching a fake British dude do card tricks to let me and my friends inside some shady bar or whatever. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, 1987 New York City wasn't all that different. Just saw you swap cards. You had the joker in your left sleeve. Ah. And so you succeed with the sharp-eyed route. You may enter. Jesse gave me a parting glance before going off into the bar. Then I was face-to-face with this bushy, bearded, fake British dude. Was he an actor out of work? Uh, Who knows. He showed me the cards and then shuffled them. Then he held them up. Uh, yeah, just like he said, you 
put it in your left sleeve? Oh, I must tisk tisk. I would never repeat a stratagem so soon. He pulled up his sleeve, and sure enough, no card. Then he reached into his hat and pulled out the Joker. For fuck's sake. Perhaps wait here for your coterie. Do keep entertained, dear. Yeah, there was zero chance I was going to stand around in some creepy alley waiting for them. So I did what I would have done in 1987. Followed the noise. Wherever the noise is, the action is. Well, it wasn't New York City. Nothing else could ever come close. But it had life. Laughter, chatter, arguing, humming, doorbells chiming. A huge portion of godness is literally just people watching, and I hadn't played spectator in so long. I walked out into the alley onto Main Street and stood there, spinning around, learning about Salt Lake City through all of its sounds. Some man buying feathers for his pillows, a mother and a daughter planning a painting session near the lake. A group of immigrant rail workers strolled by, and thanks to the all-languages power I picked up at the Arizona Tower, I heard them talking about some sort of demonstration. Right down the road, apparently. Exactly what I needed. Group energy. I made my way down the sidewalk, unbothered by all the looks I got because, well, I'm barefoot and in tattered clothes. It was hard not comparing Salt Lake to New York. I'd hear a door chime and turn around expecting to see some fresh-to-death fashionista strutting out. Instead, it was another lady in a gray dress, another dude in a round black hat. Here, everyone wanted to just blend in. The only thing I want blended is my makeup. (sighs) All I wanted was to run up to some random Mormon lady, grab her hand and say, follow me, let's go shopping. You're having a fashion emergency, but hey, I can heal you. Come on, I'd wind her up in a rose-colored dress to bring out the color in her cheeks, put on some major drama shoulder pads and a mega bright lime belt with a matching hat and she'd look like a fresh tomato, you know? I'd walk her out from the store and say, break the sidewalk, stomp it, and... and... I was just so out of my element. But hey, at least it was a city. In front of the theater I saw earlier, there was a crowd of 20-something people walking around in circles and chanting. They had signs painted with shit like, No Satan in our city, and magic possesses our babies. (laughs) Seems like human processors never really update. Anyways, I looked around to find out what the issue was supposed to be, and above me stenciled into a wooden marquee it read in bright green lettering. Salt Lake City premieres, the fabulous Omgenet and her singing automaton. If there's anything that can steal this god girl's heart, it's singing, and it's humans thinking they can do magic. So, when the protesters circled around to march in the opposite direction, I slipped behind their backs and walked into the theater's foyer. 
City of salvation. City of obedience. Forty-some years ago, a bushy-bearded prophet led his people out from Illinois. <laughs> In truth, they were driven out. When they eventually trekked into the Salt Lake Valley, they said, Ah, this is the right place. Now, of course, in those times, Utah was beyond the United States territory, so these latter days imagined an independent haven, something to call their own. But what do I know of America? Mm. America, where the church bells never seem to stop ringing. Come, come, come in. Take a seat where you like, and your title? Osgood, thank you. I've only just dusted in from Arizona. Not and... you. I'm well aware of your lineage, <coughs> Mr. <coughs> Osgood. I mean to introduce your nervy friend here to the den of the trade. Now, though I expected the cowboy could pass the doorman's crude test, I hadn't believed he'd have any interest in trailing me. As surprising it was to discover Jesse at my side. He examined the tea and cigar lounge with trepidation. A lifted eyebrow. It seemed every facet of the lounge gave him offense. The immaculate floorboards glossed to a mirror sheen. How the entire establishment smelled of an eye-watering jasmine. And how Jesse glared at the poor tea steward passing by in his gold-tossled cap. Oh, the den of trade never had a chance with the fellow. Rogers. Rogers and Osgood. Very well. It has a ring to it, yes? Perhaps legal practitioners. Rogers and Osgood. Cattle salesmen. No matter. The Board of Trade invests in many local ventures. Madame Treasurer, I must... Do you remain the board's treasurer? Precisely, the inquiry. Yes, now I am one of the six vice presidents. Six? What makes use of... (coughs) Well, um, no matter. Mr. Rogers and I, unfortunately, we are not present for any business prospects. (coughs) The young tea steward delivered a cup to the vice president. She assessed the beverage with a swirl, peering into its steam. Then the conditions remain as before. You require a visitor's protection. We require you to remain disloyal to your lineage. The war for Salt Lake City has impressed since you last came, so do not impede. At that instant, the young T. Stewart returned with two pairs of worn railroad worker uniforms. He laid them on the lounge table before us. And then, atop the uniforms, a revolver. If you are not privy to this already, Osgood, then I shall tell you now. Last Thursday, Cleveland and Congress dealt quite a blow to those here. Well... Not us, of course. The Board of Trade will fare quite well from the decision. But do you not feel the striker reaching toward the tinderbox? I haven't the faintest idea. Cleveland? I shared a cigar with a man not... uh, 
It was a dream, rather, a, a dream of Cleveland. Uh, go on. What of this tinderbox? <sighs> All right. On the surface, it regards polygamy. What good American would argue for it? <laughs> but of course, we shall have the judges, too. Those that commit polygamy will be prosecuted. And of course, the board is all too willing to cooperate. You see? How the woman preached such ethical responsibility and yet carried a most sinister grin. I told you... Of America, mistress. America is within this woman's face. Yes. I imagine the board's business prospect will only bloom from this decision. Last we spoke, <laughs> Osgood, when you asked for safe passage out from the city, we were speaking of a Mormon Utah. Now, uh, it, it shall be a state in no time. If the financial seeds are planted firm here and now, then that Osgood, means that- think it's time we leave. Naturally, the cherubic Jesse Rogers with a grimace for the times. It seemed that these literal back-alley dealings had a turn to his stomach. Indeed. Madame Vice President, it has been... A pleasure. Oh, yes. Yes, and you, too. Perhaps time will polish your endearing hesitations. Take care. Snake in plain sight. That's what I thought of Charles Osgood. I figured the man had something crooked in him, but that back alley visit dotted the eye in Wicked, put the flame in my blood. The hell was that? And don't you dare run your mouth till it's true. What? You don't appreciate the gift of... <coughs> Oh, man had the audacity to mock me while I was suited up in some railroad worker costume. Outfitted like a damn fool. Had my mind racing. How did Charles get that talking machine? That woman there said, Oz good. Made a damn point of it. Oz good. Mm-hmm. Well, simply because your survival looks different than mine, Rogers, it does not make it less legitimate. Understand this. Your survival requires a sharp eye. Mine requires a sharp tongue. Now, if you are finished with the character audit, I do believe we're missing one-third of our little syndicate. That moment, I felt I should have let the vocal boys keep old coughing, man. Let Charles, or whatever his name truly is, talk himself to the chopping block. But Helix ran off. Yeah, figure she can take care of herself, but the Board of Trade put the bid in the barrel. Did they take her? Did Charles arrange with the Vogel Gang for her capture? 
Nothing to do but play along in a town where it seemed Charles had the connections and I had all the questions, but no answers. You feel it too, Coda? Gods, my blood is buzzing already. It'd been too long since I'd heard humans produce something sonically pleasant. All those tens of millions of years ago, after you decided to form me, you taught me. When humans speak, when they sing, even when they weep, it's all in worship to you. But let's be real, Mom. 95% of human noise is disgusting. Off-pitch, shrieking, redundant, and when they were still in ape form before they started organizing music, gods, I kept my heaven's door shut for a couple millions of years. But it's that 5%. Those rare times when humans come close to magic... When their drums or voices reach everyone up in the lounge halls of the heavens, and the sound is just so alive. Engine showcases the riveting automaton. No gimmicks, echoing reality, a mechanical opera. Now, great! They all talk like that. Makes it more mystical, or whatever. Divine energy, surreal energy, robotic energy, energies together, together one. Bring energies unsung, sing energies divine. The audience started taking out pens and sheets of paper, and I figured, whatever. Humans have the weirdest rituals, and that's the byproduct of way too many gods, in my opinion. When Grandma gets healed, does little Josephine worship the god of healing, or the god of medicine? Or both? Or does she worship the god of diseases for relaxing a bit? Or the god of death for not signing Grandma's name to his scary long scroll? See, this is why Earth has made so many Frickin' religions with contradicting god models, and yeah, I I could go on about this forever, because, well, it literally has gone on for forever. But as you say, Mom, it's all a part of the natural process. We're working out the knots. Billions of years later. <sighs> Still working out the knots. Well, at least you've got one less god up there to worry about. Coda, no one goes to an opera to think about the words. As Coda freaked out about whatever, I noticed how no one in the audience watched the stage. There were about 20 others in the audience, all of them hunched over their papers, 
scribbling. It looked like a late century university lecture hall right before the final exam. Is this some old world shit I, I don't know about? Do, do people just write their memoirs during the opera or is everyone writing a review? My recent power, universal translation. Gods, all I wanted was to not work, to relax with some goddamn music, but Coda was freaking around and interrupting the show, so I listened closer to the singing machine's lyrics. I started picking up something weird, a language that, in all my god years, I'd almost forgotten. It was only used for a few decades. Desert. Stop flapping around! Yes, yes, I'm, I'm listening now. Chill. This city to return to us as we are the true children of... Okay, that sounds like a biblical song. The money men corrupt our city. They own the railroads. They possess our streets. Do they even have railroads in the human's Bible? Now, in our own blessed home, we must disguise. A disgrace we must perform. False protesters to conceal. Wait. False protesters? So, so this is... But a sign has come. A monolith from God underground where the latter days might once again... Shit. Deseret. Invented by the Mormons. I thought their secret language was dead by this time, but I was wrong. At that point, I knew I was an interloper. When I stood up, no one bothered looking. They just kept writing, translating, probably preparing to pass messages along to friends and families. Something was about to happen. I, I didn't know what, but you don't wheel out a code singing automaton just for kicks. I needed to find the guys. Something about the monolith underground. Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidal-Razaga and J.T. Lachesse and produced by Anne Hughes. Starring Jade Duong as Helix, Ivory Amor de Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood, Griffin Otto Deniger as the Mulberry Man, Anne Hughes as the Vice President, Daniel Sotelo as Coda, and Maria Fernanda Vidal-Razaga as the fabulous Amjane. This episode was written by JT, directed by Fernanda, with dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, and music by Samuel Kinsella. Just a quick update, folks. Uh, Radio Outcast co-creators, myself and JT, were invited onto W. Keith Tim's show, the first episode of To Talk About Radio Outcast. The episode was released a few days ago, actually, on Halloween. The first episode of is an occasional podcast about audio drama and the creative process, hosted by W. Keith Timms. In each show, he listens to the first episode of an indie audio drama, then has a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and their successes. It's really great conversation for anyone interested in storytelling and creativity and with so much talent and variety out there you're sure to find your next favorite audio drama by listening i personally sure have during our interview with keith 
Uh, JT and I discuss the characters of Radio Outcast, Outsiders in the Gilded Age, music, Samurai Champlot, and how working on this project has helped strengthen our friendship. I also want to take a moment to thank all of you, seriously, who helped show your support last month by voting for Radio Outcast for the 2021 Audioverse Awards. We really appreciate your support and hope that you continue sticking with us for the long run. As always, you can find us online at radiooutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at radiooutcastpod and Twitter at radio underscore outcast. If you like what you hear, let us know by listening and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. It helps us reach more listeners and gives us a chance to see what you all think of the show. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. Our patrons get access to behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, and bonus content, including a letter from Miss Marigold to her sister detailing the fate of one young girl, and text messages between the gods. If you become a patron at the Coda tier for as little as $1 a month, you too could get a very, very, very special shout out at the end of our episodes, like... Alan L., you remember our rumored opera singer? Well, I heard that the fabulous Amjane singing Automaton's voice was largely inspired by his. Andy S., that preacher from Lone Flats, I heard he has a brother this way about in Utah who is mining for silver. Andy has not heard if Luck has found his brother yet, but I heard that it was Andy's kindness and prayer that helped his brother make it all the way into the crossroads of the West. No mate sure has seen a lot in her travels west, but none quite so breathtaking as the pink sunset tucking away into the horizon behind the latter day's temples while the city lights gleam gold and a train whistles in the distance. Before becoming an undertaker in Lone Flats, Daniel W. was a gambling man. Rumor has it he once won the suspenders off of a man of high esteem who deals with the den of trade during a wonderfully exciting game of poker. Aaron B. is said to have transported 50 banned books into the city of Salt Lake, mostly dime novels, and made quite a pretty penny from the contraband. The wide-eyed and young Sebastian found himself stuck in Salt Lake City one day after exiting a train headed east to stretch his legs and missing his ride. Stephanie C. has spent the last five years conducting trains across the Pacific Railroad. Her favorite restaurant is in Salt Lake City and serves the best coffee along the rail. Chelsea S., traveling fortune teller, once read a young man's fortune, a friend of the man who now calls himself Charles Osgood, and saw empty teacups in his future. She offered him a sad smile. Lisbeth S. has traveled far and wide, long enough to know how to deal with a broken wagon wheel in the middle of nowhere better than most. She helped the fabulous Omgenet years ago when they broke not one but three wagon wheels. Sarah F. spent a week painting the sites of Salt Lake City. She left the city with 15 finished landscapes. Fearless Lila once stole a bar of silver and three bags of coal from a wagon marked Salt Lake Mining. Sadly, she missed the crate beside it, carrying 20 whole bars of silver and a few uncut gems. Melissa L. can always deliver the greatest gossip. She told me that the favorite son of some big shot in the Mormon church was caught not only gambling, not only reading contraband novels, not only 
drinking with capitalists, but also speaking on more than one occasion with a dandy of certain proclivities several years ago and has not been spoken of ever since by his family. Truly a scandal. Patricia D. once worked in the mines for a brief stint, but was run out of town by the den of trade when they found several pieces of jewelry and fine china missing from their property. Physics once purchased a puppet from the fabulous Omgene, a prototype of the singing automaton, to display at his saloon. Its ghastly eyes spooked the clientele so badly it has since been incinerated. Valvi used to gamble along the Pacific Railroad and knows there is no greater place to indulge in such vices as a city who condemns vices in general. She found herself five times richer after a brief stint in Salt Lake. Consuelo Yu, my dear mother, she once knew the fabulous Omgene long ago in their youth. She says that the fabulous Omgene was quite obsessed with tinkering and things in the way of technology. The last she saw of the fabulous Omgene, they were traveling north to meet Edison and ask for a job. Juan Aurelio P. is responsible for setting up the contract smuggling contraband books, arms, and even drugs in and out of Salt Lake City. You need a contact in the underworld, he's got it. Rax W. once found themselves stargazing in a field and fell asleep. They don't know it, but the moment that they woke up, the last rail was laid down in Salt Lake City. Susan D. has a lost love in Salt Lake City, a beautiful bronze statue that once fell from her wagon and was later picked up by a person traveling west to seek their fortune in the mines. Marcos L. pilfered jasmine incense from a member of the Den of the Trade when he was asked to leave an exclusive party. Patrick C. was once invited to a tea party hosted by the Den of Trade to showcase his marvelous juggling abilities, but declined when he learned it was all the way in Utah. Kyrie O. claims to have come up with the word Deseret as a child far before she came to learn that it was already claimed by the Mormon Church. To all of our patrons, thanks again. We appreciate you. We love you. We can't get enough of you. And to everyone listening, safe travels. <laughs>